Welcome to Truth Time, where you'll get a shot of the truth with no chaser. And now your Truth Time host, Trey Searcy. Today, we're looking at Matthew chapter 23, and we're talking about Christian love. If you have family members or friends that you care about, uh, and they're caught up in religion, steeped in denominationalism, and, and you decide to go to them and present the truth of grace, the truth of the cross, the truth about Christ and his finished cross work, hey, you may very well get accused of not exhibiting Christian love, or at least their version of it. Paul's gospel is somewhat of a low blow to the ego. It takes the focus off you and puts it on the cross. It's offensive to the religious crowd. It doesn't matter what tone of voice you use or how sweet you say it. Hey, if Mr. Rogers preached Paul's gospel, they'd still reject it. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. As ambassadors for Christ, we're told how to speak. Ephesians 6.20 For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. How are we to speak, Paul? Boldly. You see, religion has a way of taking what was once a normal person and turning them into a zombie-like follower. They become lazy-minded, uh, docile, and, and, and sort of spiritually lethargic. Truth is no longer important to them as they, they remain lost in their fantasy world of, of unicorns and fairy tales. All lines have been blurred in the name of love, and, and we're left with twisted ecumenical people who no longer recognize distinctions. And it's no longer about biblical truth. It's no longer about what thus saith the Lord. It's now about what man says from his platform of psychology. It's the seeker-friendly mentality. A good question we might ask is, how did Jesus speak? Did Jesus speak boldly? Today in our society, it's not popular to speak truth. Truth offends, divides, feelings get hurt. You know, once upon a time, candor and frankness were considered to be a virtue. But in this milquetoast, politically correct world, it's now shunned and looked down upon. Hey, Jesus delivered some not-so-pretty, scathing remarks throughout the entire 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew. Try that today. You preach like that and you'll be labeled as someone who lacks Christian love. Hey, Christ called them hypocrites multiple times. Look at verses 13, verses uh, 14, 15, and 25. He called them hypocrites. Pretty scathing word. He told them that through their false teaching, they were guilty of making others twofold more the child of hell than themselves. Verse 15. He called them blind guides. Imagine that. We vacationed in Savannah, Georgia, where we took a bus tour through the city. And as you well know, on the tours, you have a guide. They, they're on the microphone, and, and as you pass certain venues and historical places, they will... They will share information with you. Now imagine me sitting in my seat, and just ever so often I say, He's nothing but a blind guide. 
we go another block or two and I, I scream out, don't listen to this blind guide. How do you think that would make the tour guide feel? Well, you may stand the chance of being thrown off the bus. But Christ accused them of being blind in verses 16, 17, 19, and 24. And he called them fools in verses 17 and 19. Now, where have I heard that before? That's the same thing Paul called the Galatians. Remember when he said, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Hey, Jesus, Paul, excuse me, fellas, I don't think you two are being very Christian. And I wish you would learn to exhibit more Christian love. And Jesus goes on to call them serpents and a generation of vipers in verse 33. Pretty strong language, don't you think? So just what was the reason Jesus called them the offspring of a poisonous snake, a generation of vipers? Just which deadly sin did they commit? Were they guilty of committing the filthy five, the seven deadlies, the nasty nine, or the dirty dozen? No, their sin was simply this. They were misleading the people. And in the name of let's all just get along, this is the sin that is most overlooked today. Furthermore, Jesus said all of this in the same chapter that he says, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Verse 12. So obviously, humbling yourself and truth-telling are married, not divorced, as some would have us to believe. And just as obvious, exhibiting love in no way means that you edit out the truth for fear of hurting someone's feelings. Isn't it time we just believe the Bible? Isn't it time we just believe and agree with God? Put Him before the traditions of men? You see, some are preaching a false Jesus. They open the same Bible you do. They look on the same pages as you do. But they're preaching a false Jesus. It's their version. It's their private interpretation of who Jesus is and what Christian love really means. Most of the popular modern-day preachers are preaching a milk-toast, ecumenical Jesus, one that is missing from Scripture. He's absent. They're preaching a Jesus that brings everyone together to sit by a cozy little fire, holding hands and singing Kumbaya. That's a false Jesus. Jesus is truth, and truth divides. Luke twelve fifty one. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth? I tell you nay, but rather division. Truth does that. And truth is not only something we can believe, but something we can know. John 8:32 And ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You see many have decided to change the meaning of Christian love. They perceive love as not offending anyone, while scripture declares that love is willing to speak up and speak out even when there's a strong chance you'll be shunned and 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 persecuted for doing so. A chance you'll lose your good standing among your peers. And most of all, it may affect your bank account. You see, when it comes down to it, 
Some of these guys are really in it for themselves. They claim to be speaking the truth for God, but in fact they're speaking a version of truth and it's for themselves. Let's just all get along and let's do it for numbers sake. This is a false Jesus. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. This is a man-made Jesus. And after you've heard so many bad sermons, after you've been taught so many wrong doctrines, even though they're false, they began to be true to you. Christ told them that they were like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanliness. Verse 27. You see, the word is sharp, like a sword, and it cuts This all-inclusive, ecumenical, everybody's good, and we're all going to wind up in the same place. This, it doesn't matter who or what you believe in, is a lie. You're called to stand on and to have the wherewithal to boldly speak the truth. The whited sepulchers that appear beautiful outward, but inside are full of dead men's bones, this describes many so-called Christians today. With their milky words and fair smiles, they indeed appear beautiful outward. But within, now that's a different story, a horse of another color. In verse 28, Christ said, Outwardly you appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Hey Jesus, do you think you can dial it down a bit? You're starting to sound like an intolerant know-it-all who doesn't suffer fools very well. And you really might ought to think about being more politically correct if you want to gain followers. What would Jesus do? Well, today they've changed that to, what would Joel do? Next chance you get, tune in to Joel Osteen and see if he'll tell you anything even close to this. Let's see if we can see the Jesus in Joel. See if he sounds anything like Christ. Hey, if I would follow Joel, I could be accepted into their club. You know, the club that never speaks a harsh word, never name calls, never judges doctrine, never offends, never divides, never tests things against the scriptures to see if they're they're true or not. No. Why would we do that, Trey? We're looking we're looking for friends. We're looking for people to fill the pews. We're looking for popularity. It's your best life now. Every day's a Friday. In other words, a club that Jesus Christ himself would not even be welcome in. Let's just speak truth here. This private club does not allow name callers. Therefore, Jesus would have his membership revoked. You cannot call people hypocrites, blind guides, vipers and fools, and expect to get accepted in the Christian love club. Wonder if these same people would, while your house is burning down, just stand there and watch. Not much of a friend. I would want a friend to come banging on my door, banging on my windows, busting through my doors, busting out my windows, anything to save my life. Disturb me from my sleep in order to reach me and save my life. I need truth. And the truth is, there's some spiritual houses burning down, and these polished preachers are coming to them with their fair speeches, milky theology, but eternally, these folks are dying and going to hell. A hell that'll end up in the lake of fire. How many would show up to Lakewood, the nation's largest church, to hear Jesus or Paul preach their message? (laughs) 
Well, I'm sure there would actually be a large crowd to show up after hearing the announcement that Jesus and, and the Apostle Paul were going to appear there. So I guess the better question would be, how many would return for a second helping? People <laughs> people have been so falsely conditioned and brainwashed as to what Christians should look and sound like that after hearing Jesus and Paul, after hearing them speak, they would claim them to be false teachers. That is not Jesus. Oh, no. No, sir. That wasn't Paul. No, the truth is that that's not the Jesus or the Paul that your preacher told you about. But it is the Jesus and the Paul of the Bible, of Scripture. Hey, listen, our pattern, our pattern to follow is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us that we are to follow him, follow Christ as he followed Christ. Along comes this guy claiming to have received secret information from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, Romans 16.25. Information, by the way, that no one else except Paul, except for him, received. He makes the claim that in his letters and them alone is where you'll find information that is unsearchable and cannot be found anywhere else in Scripture. Ephesians 3.8 He says that he's been given his own gospel. Romans 2.16, Romans 16.25, and 2 Timothy 2.8 He calls others false apostles, deceitful workers, and accuses them of transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.13 He called the Galatians foolish in Galatians 3.1 and refuses to suffer fools gladly. 2 Corinthians 11.19 He called some of the teachers dogs and evil workers. Philippians chapter 3 verse 2 He tells his audience that if they will only consider what he says, the Lord will give them understanding in all things. 2 Timothy 2.7 so without a doubt, Paul in his day was most likely considered to be arrogant, a feeling that many still have for him today, by the way. But really, he's just speaking the truth. Truth offends. Truth divides. Christ was hung on the cross for his so-called arrogance. I dare him to ride into Jerusalem, coming in on a jackass and claiming to be God. So said the Pharisees. You see, religion has a way of dumbing down their collective sheeple, leaving them with more questions than answers, which makes them totally reliant upon them, the so-called religious leaders. Therefore, it's no mystery that they don't understand how someone can simply read the Bible, pay attention to who is speaking and to whom is the audience, and believe what it actually says and come away with the answers. After all, since they've spent a lifetime in the dark, isn't that where everyone else must be? When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Some see themselves as, as some sort of righteous judge who was put here to monitor your tone of voice. They want you to stick to the Christianese, as if any of this defines whether or not you're a Christian. Meanwhile, they speak softly, smile real big, and doing so in the name of their so-called Christian love, thinking that, that that is what proves their Christianity. Listen, I'm not against being motivated and inspired, and if Joel Osteen inspires you, so be it. It doesn't do much for me. I'm inspired by straight talk from God's Word, the, the Word of Truth rightly divided. But... If it helps you, have at it. But I do ask this, 
Get in the Bible and search the scriptures for yourself. Prove all things. Do not think that what he says will save you. Hey, enjoy his motivational speeches, buy his books or whatever, but don't trust what he says for being the gospel that saves today. It's not the gospel. Paul said that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel of Christ, was the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Believe what, Paul? The gospel, the good news of the finished work of the risen Savior. And if he finished it, there's no work left to do for salvation. So does Joel tell of this good news gospel that saves today? Let's listen, and you be the judge. I'd like to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me? Just say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, we believe you got born again. If you were listening carefully, you just heard Joel present a false gospel of salvation. And this is not a let's bash Joel Osteen program. I don't know Joel the man, and I like some of the things he says, but it's his so-called gospel I have a problem with. He said, pray a prayer, ask the Lord into your heart, repent of your sins, and then after that, make him Lord of your life. Work, work, work. So let's test what Joel says. Let's see if what he says is needed for a lost soul to be saved. Let's test that with what God says about it. The God of the Bible makes it so plain, so clear as to how a lost soul can be saved. Let's examine. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And let's see how this squares with what Joel said. I think you'll find that it says nothing close to what he just said. It says that you hear the gospel of your salvation, then you believe the gospel of your salvation. That's how you're saved. Hear and believe. So what is the gospel that you must hear and believe? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you, declare what, Paul? The gospel. The gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures." Where is the prayer Joel tells us to pray? Where's the repenting of your sins to be saved? Where is asking him into your heart to be saved? And where is the part about making Jesus your Lord and Savior? Well, it's on TV. It's on the Joel Osteen show, but it's not here in God's Word where he tells us how to be saved. Quickly, let's review. First, you have to hear the gospel. Christ died and was resurrected for your sins. Then you must believe it. Trust it alone without adding human effort. Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Question. 
Would praying be of yourself? (laughs) Well, of course. Of course it would. Joel tells you to say a prayer. That's of yourself. We just read salvation is not of yourself. Houston, we have a problem. To repent of your sins. Repenting would be of yourself. But we just read that being saved is not of yourselves. So how can you be saved by repenting? You can't. This is straight up Bible truth. And then he says to ask the Lord into your heart. Really? If asking's what saves you, who's doing the asking? Right, yourself. But salvation is not of yourself. No salvation is a gift of God. Next verse, verse 9, Ephesians chapter 2. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Joel's gospel adds works. Praying, repenting, asking, and making. So when someone asks me, how did I get saved? According to Joel, I could say, I prayed, I repented, I asked, and I made. That's me boasting. Boasting on what I did for salvation instead of what Christ did for my salvation. You see, it's all about the cross, but today we have popular ministries that will point you away from the cross, away from the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation. But Joel's works have no power. They're powerless. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. You see, grace is unearned. But Joel's gospel has you earning it with a to-do list wrapped up in a prayer. And what's the result? It'll put you in debt. Romans 4.4, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Prayer is a work, a work of myself. It's something I do. But it's something I do after I'm saved, not something I do to be saved. That would make salvation by works. But salvation is not of works. No one can work to be saved. We work because we are saved. God's not concerned with unsaved people working. It's we who are saved that are called to do good works. Ephesians 2.10 Hey, Christ died for the sins of the world, was buried, and has risen. All sins, 2 Corinthians 5.21, were placed on Him. He was made to be sin for us. And is what allowed God, almost 2,000 years ago, to, verse 19, stop counting sins against anyone. He can't charge them to Christ and then recharge them to us. I really hope you're seeing this. You need peace. You need new life. And both can only be obtained after giving up on self, give up and come to the realization that you just can't do it. You can never, no matter how hard you try, you can never be good enough. You can never be good enough for salvation. You just can't. You can't, but he did. He finished the work. Now rest in that. And the funny thing is, those who try to do good works, don't. And those who give up, do. (laughs) Because when you get out of God's way, He goes to work in you. Write this down. Grace rightly applied changes everything. Grace rightly applied changes everything. 
And I want you to cap the first letter of each word. It's a beautiful thing. But not only on paper, it's even more beautiful when you apply it to your life. Listen, you only get two educations. The one you're given and the one you give yourself. Something was just missing. I kept reading the Bible and seeing these Jesus talk about life and life to the full and peace and joy. And I thought, I'm not getting this. Other people seem like they are. Uh, I must be doing something wrong. Just this turmoil underneath the surface, um, tears. There was no one I could turn to, though, because uh, being a pastor's wife, you're supposed to have it all together, right? The biggest fear that I was dealing with was the fear of abandonment and uh, fought my entire life not to have that happen, uh, but experienced it many, many times. All my efforts and all my tries and all my shoulds got crucified. I and myself was crucified on that cross and I no longer live. I'm not capable, I don't have it within me. But the very one who is capable, he's made himself one with me and he wants to perform that through me. And I was able to take off all those names and take off all those weights. And I was lifted up above who I am in terms of what I do. At one point I felt like taking my life was the answer. And then when I, I learned that giving up my life was exactly what he had in mind, it just wasn't in a physical but a, a spiritual exchange at the cross. The thing that I love the most is that I'm 100% acceptable. It's the joy and the peace that I feel all the time. I'm not afraid. I am not afraid. And I know that it's not all about my behavior anymore. It's about who I am and who He's already made me to be. I might have described my life as one of trying. Sincerely, trying, but frustrated. Trying to work for God rather than really working from God. And there just seems to be no end to His grace. He fully accepts me and He loves me and I'm His treasured possession, His pearl. <laughs> His love is unfailing, it's not going anywhere, and I can really trust Him. It's just a true intimacy. It's knowing that I'm completely safe with Him and completely accepted regardless of what I do. I just feel very loved, accepted, secure, cared for. I'm not alone. And that has been life-changing, knowing that Christ is in me. This has been Truth Time with Trey Searcy. Visit our website at truthtimeradio.com. Until next time, remember, when a man who is honestly mistaken hears the truth, he will either quit being mistaken or cease to be honest.